coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. First, before I get into that, I want to apologize for being drunk, loud, and obnoxious. Oh my God. When I listened back to that that audio, Kevin took, I was like, we were so loud. I don't know. You guys are pretty tame. I don't know. I, I've been in the restaurant business for a very long time. I, I thought you were just fine. <laughs> you were having fun. I, you, you weren't disturbing anyone. I, I thought you were great. It's nice. It's nice to have an appreciative audience. One of the things that unfortunately comes along with wine a lot of times is pretension. And I am not a big fan of pretension. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my goal at Sea Salt is the SOM and the beverage director and, you know, main educator in, in beverage is to keep it approachable. Right. You can put Madeira in your sock drawer or put it on top of your car engine. It's not going to go bad because <laughs> of the process. I mean, you cannot hurt Madeira. They, they are still finding caches of Madeira from back in the, the original colonial days, and they're, they're fine. Wow. Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat, in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download, and then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is Jackie Aish. Jackie is the sommelier and beverage director at Sea Salt St. Pete. And at the top of the show, we have Abby with her recipe for Fra Diablo sauce with shrimp and bonza chickpea pasta. We have, we have a, a great, great show, show, so stick, stick around. around. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. Ramen is the ultimate comfort food. And Booyah Ramen on the 900 block of Central Avenue is my go-to. It's so freaking good. The broth is like a silky blanket to warm up your mouth. And the hearty proteins, or just mushrooms for vegetarians, it'll have you saying, Ooh, mommy, the umami is making my eyes roll back in my head. My favorites are the pork belly and the short rib. Mmm. And then there's the noodles. O. M. G. 
G. Go get the best ramen in St. Pete at Booyah Ramen at 911 Central Avenue in the Edge District of downtown St. Pete. Do ya, Booyah? Please welcome, with our monthly recipe, straight from the St. Pete Foodies Test Kitchen, Abby Allen. Welcome, Abby. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great. Yes. Can you believe it's February? My goodness. No, it certainly feels like February. (laughs) So we want to thank Rolling Oats for sponsoring the recipe segment. And did all of the ingredients come from Rolling Oats? Yes, all of the ingredients. So they do have shrimp. Yes, they do. Yeah, all natural. It's um, it's called Bay Winds, and it's peeled and deveined in the freezer section. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. In, in the freezer section, you said. In the freezer section. Yep. yep. Nice. Okay. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are all about let's oh we got to go get fresh shrimp blah blah, blah and, and there's and that's fine. And, you know, Sammy's Seafood's great for that. A bunch of places in Gulfport. But what's nice about having frozen shrimp, and I found this out because of the pandemic, you can just have them in the freezer, and like if you have a hankering for shrimp. There they are. And they're flash frozen fresh anyway. Yeah. So they're as fresh as you can get besides getting it straight from the water. Right. Exactly. And that's a misconception. That's a lot of people get confused with that for sure. And honestly, when they come frozen, a lot of times there's no work involved. They're peeled, they're Mm deveined, they're ready to go, you know? Yeah. So, but hey. I'm all about it. Yeah. And and just go ahead. for, For any of our first time listeners, Roland Oats is a locally owned organic food market where you can get the highest quality ingredients for cooking at home. And they also have some delicious prepared foods for when you're on the run or don't feel like cooking. And they've been around for over 25 years. And what are we making today? We are making, speaking of shrimp, we're making shrimp fra diavolo with toasted breadcrumbs on top. Delicious and spicy and comforting. And it's honestly a lot easier than it probably sounds. Um, And we're making, we make it this with the um, bonza pasta, which is the chickpea pasta, right? um, which I think is delicious. What do you guys think? Do you know the difference? We actually, we have a little bit more to discuss today than usual for two, for two reasons. (laughs) Perfect. As you said that, I was making faces. One, Lori and I disagree on the bonza chickpea pasta. Okay. And number two, we're also going to talk about the difference or not the difference between Fra Diavolo and Arabiata sauce. Yes. Very good. Love so, it. Bonza Dig chickpea pasta. So what happened is I'm just on, I'm on Facebook and I see the Roland Oats Facebook account post a photo of Bonza pasta and I start reading it. And I'm like, huh, that looks pretty cool. And then I sent it over to you, mm-hmm. Abby, and yeah. said, hey, can we do something with this? Yep. And I said, and- Absolutely. Well, you said you use it a lot already, right? We do. Yeah, we use yeah. it pretty frequently. Yes, we always have some. Yep. Right. Yep. So to me, this is just my opinion. If I I feel if I made this for somebody and didn't tell them it was chickpea pasta, they wouldn't even know. Absolutely not. I would know. <laughs> I would know. It is mushy and it has that texture and consistency to me. And I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, Joseph Anthony Zakari actually posted about it in Foodies Home Creations right. this week. Yeah, he wasn't a fan either. He was not a fan either. I I just didn't like the texture of it. And, you know, I've been trying all kinds of noodles having been on Weight Watchers. Right. But I don't feel like the bonza pasta is enough less in carbs for me for it to, for. I would rather use regular. 
Right. Well, I think too, with a, a lot of people kind of go towards the Bonza because of, it's gluten-free, correct? Oh, that yeah. okay. I think is yeah. why is the gluten, the gluten-free thing. Uh, right. See, for me, I could care less on that. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so I think that's why a lot of people do you know, do it. Now I will say we've done a lot of experimenting with it. And if you go a couple, even one or two minutes and overcook it, it is, it's, it, it's mush. Like it's just like basically just disintegrates into mush. It's disgusting. It's not good. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you, like I, especially like for this, the Fra Diablo recipe where you, I finish the pasta in with the sauce and the shrimp, you really just cook it. Like I think it's the right. standard cooking, cooking is like, I think like nine, eight or eight to 10 minutes. And I usually cut it off right around like six and a half, seven, just because I don't right. want to hit that mushy point, you know? Right. Cause it'll continue to cook. And plus you're cooking it some more in the pan with the exactly. sauce. And the exactly. Yes. Yes. Now I will say they do, Bonza does have rice too, which we've, tried a oh, few wow. times and that one definitely like it's you can definitely tell the difference and if you let it go too long you're just going to end up with this mushy just not appetizing rice. Right. so you don't recommend the rice no i mean unless you're gonna we got it mike actually picked it up um last week he's like let's try it because they actually have flavored rice i think it's like garlic and onion or something so we're gonna give it another try but okay yeah cool stay yeah so I also, I took the time to do an analysis too. So on the Bonza spaghetti, on the back, it tells you, it gives you information on like calories and protein and fiber, Mm -hmm. but that's all they tell you. So I went and got all of that same information on actual real spaghetti. Ah. And and then I put it into an actual Excel spreadsheet to make (laughs) calculations. That's, That's me. That would be Kevin. So, so Laura, you said for the amount of carbs, well, it actually has less carbs. What it has is that the, that is the same. The bonza pasta made from chickpeas is the same amount of calories as regular pasta, but it's half the carbs and approximately 40% more protein and approximately 60% more fiber. Yeah, I don't care about any of that. And like I said, I didn't say it didn't have less carbs. I said it doesn't have enough less carbs. Like for instance, I've been, I use Palmini as a substitute. It it has half. I understand that, but Palmini has zero. Yeah. Or two. And and it's, and it's like 9 million miles away from seeming like real pasta. It is, but I still actually like the texture of it better and the flavor. Um, and then there's also the tofu shirataki noodles, but those are great, those are great, but they're so high in fiber that they were hurting my stomach. I'll have to try them again, Mm. but they're also more like an Asian noodle than they are a spaghetti. Right. Right. (laughs) So, so Lori and I will agree to disagree on Bonza. (laughs) Now for the sauce. I will agree to agree. Okay. Find out what the sauce. I know. Yes. Yes. It should not surprise you since I've already told you that I put things into a spreadsheet to figure out the nutritional stuff on Bonza. I did a lot of research this morning because I'm thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. they're both basically a spicy tomato sauce. What's the difference? Don't waste your time Googling. I've already done it for you. And I found out that 97% of the answers on Google are incorrect. So what'd you find out? And, and also half the time they have Arabiata spelled wrong. So Arabiata, there's two R's and there's two B's. And everybody will tell you what the translation is like, okay, fine. Uh, Fra Diablo bro- equals brother devil and Arabiata equals angry. 
That's the Italian translation. I, I used to think Arviatum is spicy. So there's a ton of conflicting and incorrect info online. Some say that Arabiata is only for pasta and Fra Diablo can be for pasta or seafood. But then we have Grazzi Italian Grill doing shrimp uh, Arabiata. Which is one of my favorite, if yeah, not oh, my favorite. Oh, it's, there. it's definitely my favorite. It's mandatory. We get yeah. it every time. Yeah. <clears throat> so they say that Fra Diablo was invented by Italian Americans to go with lobster or hmm. shrimp. Correct. It was originally, so Fra Diavolo is an Italian-American sauce that you will not find in Italy. Just the name you won't find in Italy. It's You'll Ar find it, but it's called Arabiata. Right. <laughs> right. And online, some use them interchangeably. Like they'll say, this is my Fra Diavolo Arabiata sauce. So I saw it like I'm doing my research for this and a lot of, a handful, I should say, of different, you know, recipes out there, like Ina Garden's recipe for shrimp Fra Diavolo. She actually uses like candor jarred arabiata sauce instead of just crushed tomatoes. And so she does the cheater way and like does that ah. and then mellows it out. So yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. You're, that's another thing too. You said she mellows it out some. So, so the only thing I could tell is that mm -hmm. arabiata seems more traditional mm -hmm. Italian and maybe a little spicier and Fra Diablo is American Italian not really found in Italy, not quite as spicy. And then I ran that by Chef Tony Mangiafico, who is the chef and culinary at Grazzi, and he said, Now we know. That's correct. Yeah. Now we have solved the mystery. Yeah. Now let's talk about the recipe. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you do it, Abby? I did it. It's a simple recipe for the most part. And I stuck pretty, you know, traditional for the, you know, compared to a lot of other recipes out there. A lot of recipes use like different spicy Italian peppers, but I was reading that they don't really have that kind of spice. So for the spice, and then right. I strictly used um, crushed red pepper flakes. Now, it mm -hmm. depends, of course, we have a range of, you know, what people like. So I started the base, I put one tablespoon and then at plus a tape, another teaspoon as needed for those who don't, you know, you can add that later for those who really don't like spice. Um, mm -hmm. But so we start by making the, the breadcrumbs for the top, crispy breadcrumbs. I just took some panko. Um, well, you can use any kind, fresh breadcrumbs, whatever, toss that in a pan nice. with some butter and then um, let it toast for a few minutes and then mix it with some fresh basil delicious on top. Nice. Um, and then for the actual Fra Diablo, I mean, you soften your onion, add in your garlic, and I put in some fennel seed as well, which was crushed, as well as the crushed red pepper, just the one tablespoon to start. Make that, you know, cook that all together and then add in. I, I used crushed tomatoes just to make life easier. I don't have to get the butter mm -hmm. out for the whole peel and all that. Crushed tomatoes, um, some white wine, three-fourths cup of white wine. Um, definitely use a, a white wine that you would drink when you cook yeah, yeah, excuse me. You know, that's another thing too. I, I did find some sources that said a difference is that Fra Diablo can have white wine in it where our Arabiata does not. Does not, mm. yes. Yeah. So white wine, any kind that you like to drink. Um, and then of course your bonza. I used the fettuccine specifically for this. And then the only right. other items in this, I mean, it's I use fresh oregano, um, some Parmesan for serving, and then of course some heavily salted pasta water to mix in your pasta. And I mean, it's really, it's simple. It comes together in all, all of for 30 minutes or so, plus 20 minutes of prep. And it is delicious. Sprinkle those toasted breadcrumbs on top with the basil and the Parmesan and it's delicious. It's really, really nice. I, I could see the fettuccine playing well with the shrimp yeah. mm -hmm. and, and the, and the fennel too kind of makes it uh, 
feel Lori hates it, but yeah. to me, it makes it feel more Italian too because yeah. the, the Italian sausage has that spicy, like the crushed red pepper and that fennel combination is very reminiscent of like um, like sausage for me. You know that kind of right. totally yeah. seasoning. Yeah, so it's delicious. We have tons of instructional, you know, pictures and and good detail for the recipe, and it's it's it'll be a new go to weeknight go to at that. I mean, it's so simple. So, you know, could you use cayenne pepper instead of crushed red? I don't know that I would you know what if you wanted to if you were someone who really wanted to you know kind of you don't like heat at all I would recommend cayenne just because it's it's definitely a little more subtle on as far as heat's right that's what I was wondering yeah so absolutely totally I mean there's no hurt in trying that out for sure so give you the flavor with less of the burn and if you're me can you quadruple the amount absolutely yeah yes (laughs) throwing some of those Sichuan peppercorns throwing no So, and you have a wine pairing from our friend Ken Smith? Yes, we do have a wine pairing. Eh, just going to get it. Sorry. Okay. So, I, I, I've talked so much already. I've, I figured you should do this. Okay. So, Ken Smith. So, it's now correct me on the spelling or the enunciation of all this. Bonfante and how do you, Chiarelli? I, I think it's. Here, I'm giving it to Lori. I did Google it and it, it, it is spelled correctly. It looks like somebody spelled Charlie wrong. Right. Spelled like that. So Bonafonte oh. and Chirelli Barbera. Bonafonte and Chirelli Barbera Dosti Superiori. 2000. I don't think I said any of that right, but you uh, know. I think we put a medium bodied fruit forward gem with polished tannins and bright acidity. Savory rich palette of flavors include berry jam, tobacco, and spice. And Ken notes that it's a delightful marriage with tomato sauce and heat. Awesome. Nice. Yes, we love that. And you will find this, of course, on stpetersburgfoodies.com in the recipe section. And again, we want to thank Roland Oates for sponsoring the monthly recipe. Abby Allen for creating it, and Ken Smith for the wine pairing. Thanks, guys. Buen provecho, y'all. Thanks, Abby. I see this recipe in my very, very near future. Yes. Without the bronza. Fabulous. (laughs) We'll be right back with Jackie H., the sommelier and beverage director at Sea Salt St. Pete. As a St. Pete Foodies listener, you should also check out the Zest podcast from WUSF Public Media. You know, the Tampa NPR folks. Every Thursday, host Dahlia Cologne shares everything from food history to the best restaurants you haven't tried. There's recipes you'll want to try and a different slice of our state's foodie scene. The key lime actually is native to Southeast Asia. The English sailors were called limeys when they found out that they put it in their barrels of water to get rid of that brackish well-watered taste, they uh, didn't get scurvy anymore. So they wanted them in all their ports in the tropics, so they took the seeds and planted them. So that's how we ended up with key limes down here. We invite you to listen to The Zest on your favorite podcast app or at thezestpodcast.com. Tell Tell them St. Pete Foodie sent you. Please welcome the sommelier and beverage director at Sea Salt St. Pete, Jackie H. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, how are you guys doing? doing We're doing, doing great. great. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful day. You know, I'm just not so sweltering hot in Florida. We have to take advantage of this when we can, right? Oh, totally. Exactly. You're not kidding. Yeah, time to eat lunch outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we're definitely obviously going to talk about sea salt. We had a recent dinner there that 
uh, blew us away. I'm not even exaggerating. No, I mean, yeah, it did. But I'm not going to say literally because it literally wouldn't be good. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that would be awkward. It killed us. <laughs> but we also, and, and I have a ton of wine questions for you, but let's get to know you a little bit first. Uh, where are you originally from? Um, I was actually born in northern Indiana. I'm a Hoosier. Mm-hmm. But, uh, my family moved here in, in the 70s. So I'm, I'm a Floridian, actually. I've been here oh, yeah. in my life. Yeah, you've been here since the 70s. That's like ancient. Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, how long have you been in St. Pete or the area? Well, I actually still live in North County, but I have been at Sea Salt. It will be four years in March. I started as the dining room manager, and about six months later, our original SOM uh, put in his notice, and I applied for the job, and they hired nice. me. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. So when did you first start getting into wine? I would say officially, I mean, I've been a buyer for, for many years since the, since the mid nineties, but I would say I got into wine probably about 20 years ago, really started taking an interest in it and really kind of digging into it. And, and then I, I worked at a a restaurant in Oldsmar that is no longer there, but uh, I had a very disinterested owner that wanted Mm. nothing to do with actually the restaurant in general. And he just uh, walked up to me with a, you know, probably about a foot high stack of portfolios. And this is in the day where people still printed other portfolios. Now almost everything's digital. And right. He slammed it in front of me and said, order. <laughs> um, wow. You know, baptism by fire, kind of. I looked at him. Yeah, like, totally. Well, would you like to kind of give me an idea of what direction you, and, and he did. They had, they've had a couple other restaurants, but that was, you know, for me, I've always learned best that way. Just put something in front of me and say, just have at it. And that, that one experience taught me a lot about just That's cool. Yeah, wine and, and how to how to taste and how to order and you know, how to find it. You know, mm-hmm. again, it wasn't it wasn't as digital as it is now. It was you know, I had to dig through this publication called the Southern Beverage Journal, which I think is still around. Mm-hmm. But in that day it was, you know, it was printed up every month and it was never up to date. So It was kind of like a a scavenger hunt, but it was a good education. Yeah. Wow. And didn't you, you also own your own wine bar at one point? I did. I, from, um, let's say 2012 to 2016, I had a partner and, um, it was on Clearwater beach. It's called Cork and Brew Bistro. And we were fine wine, craft beer, small plates and desserts. We had, uh, actually, we were the first tap house on Clearwater Beach. We had 22 taps. I had oh, wow. about uh, 70 labels on my wine list. So you can imagine going from 70 labels to 780 labels. What a, what wow. a shock that was. But wow. yeah. And, and, you know, now it's funny. Now I don't even think about it. Now, I, I you know, you just kind of grow into it. But I could tell you the first probably year with this list at Sea Salt was a, a real challenge you know just i mean it's overwhelming yeah Yeah. that's huge i can imagine wow i had no idea there were that many i think at home i probably have like maybe 20 labels at most (laughs) well that's enough you know you can only drink one at a time yeah true. (laughs) have you had the opportunity to uh tie in uh your wine experiences with some travel I do. You know, I am. I've been fortunate enough that I've I've done some psalm camps. I did. Uh, Shramsburg does a does a camp uh, twice a year. They do one in the spring and one in the fall. And they sponsored me. I want to say back oh, nice. in 2018, they sponsored me. So I did that. And then two falls ago, 
uh, John Charles Boise, who, you know, he and Gina Gallo own a very large portfolio. Uh, they flew me out to uh, Deloche and I did a SOM camp out there. Anytime I travel, you know, I always, I always tie in at least one vineyard visit. And then I do, I do try to get out to Napa and Sonoma um, at least once a year. I usually go during crush because it's fun. It is mm-hmm. fun. That's my favorite time too. Yeah, it's active. There's a lot going on. Uh, you know, bud break is cool too, but I, I'm not much for cold weather. And really, I, I like to, I like to go when the, when there's action. It's fun when there's fruit on the vines and there's trucks everywhere full of berries. So that's that's my favorite right. time to go. Yeah, I, I've been to Napa and Sonoma twice. Once with Lori. How many times have you been, Lori? Eight or nine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And all since 2009, I was wow. right. all the time. Well, I, I met, you know, Fred Zamataro, who we told you is the COO and vice president at Schramsberg uh-huh. yeah. um, on the first trip in 2009. And we became very, very good friends. And then he invited me out that, then that was at, at Harvest. And then he invited me out in May for their Schramsberg Cellar Club party. Mm-hmm. Right. And you stayed at yeah, their I stayed, house. I stayed with yeah. them when I went out I bet that was fun, that cellar party. Oh, it is. It's so much fun. So much fun. Isn't that but, cave amazing? Oh, unbelievable. And they held part of at this party. They held part of the party. It was like a pirate theme party yeah. inside the caves. And it was just really cool. Yeah, it is. Pre- it's pretty. It's such a great little piece of American history, too. It certainly is. Yeah. So there are, speaking of uh, sommelier, there are four levels. Mm-hmm. And what are they and which are you at, Jackie? Um, actually, I'm just a level one. Uh, okay. I, um, I did the introductory. I've been in the business for, for you know, a lot of years. Like I said, there's four. Um, there's a level one, which is what I am. I, yeah, I may test for level two at some point. Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. expensive, you know. Yeah. That, that's How much is it? It's like, I think it's around $700. Oh, wow. That is you know, and um, I, you know, Seasalt doesn't have a program. Some places, you know, they have a program where the employer pays for it. Seasalt doesn't have right. a program like that. So who knows? Maybe, maybe someday. But as of right now, you know, that's that's quite a a financial dedication. And right. you know, it, it. And then you kind of wondered. Uh, I, and the Court of Masters is great. They've done amazing things for wine professionals. But but sometimes you wonder if it's more about the title. But, right. um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I probably I probably will test for it at some point. But then there's a level two, level two, which is, um, you know, the, the regular psalm that, that most of us know about. Level three is the advanced. And then level four is the master. And right. when you get to levels three and four, uh, the court's interesting. You have to be invited to test. Oh, wow. Yeah. You have to have a master that's willing to sponsor you. So, cool. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's you, you, but you know, you have to definitely have to know the right people to, to help mm-hmm. get your foot in the door, but right. not taking anything away from anyone that has gone through that testing process because it is, it is rigorous. You know, there's, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of dedication involved and I have nothing but admiration for anyone that, you know, that has gone through that process and, and successful or not, you know, it, it's quite an ordeal that you put yourself through. Yeah, right. I was reading a piece yesterday uh, dated in 2018, and don't, don't quote me, don't hold me to exact numbers, but I think they said in the whole world at that time, there was a total of 290-something uh, master sommeliers, and that like 40 of them were women. Yeah, that's about right. Um, and it's interesting that you that you mentioned that, because there's been some shakeup in the court, as because um, there are a lot of people that, that feel that there's there's too much of a disparity between the the numbers of the the male and female CPAs, right. so 
It's, it's, yeah, that, that's certainly been a uh, current topic this past year. Yeah, the quarter masters has taken a beating the last couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we, we, yeah, on another episode, we were talking about uh, J- James Beard awards and whatnot and how that was a similar thing this year where it's not, not inclusive enough. So, yeah, you know, and we could, I have to, obviously I have to be careful how I talk about stuff like this, but you know, Hey, we have a female vice president now. So anything. Could happen. Hey, there you go. <laughs> exactly. We'll drink to that. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about sea salt. Okay. Okay. So they, sea salt specializes in seafood, obviously, we do. Uh, but they also have some great meat dishes and Italian dishes. And yeah, and, you know, we were, we were in for dinner recently and, uh, and we thank you for taking such good care of us. Yes. Oh, you guys are great. We definitely want to go into some details on that dinner, but it was interesting. You know, I have to, we had to admit like you, at one point early on, you said, well, we are an Italian restaurant and I stopped and I'm like, yes. You have some great Italian dishes there. Uh-huh. And the owner is from Venice. Uh-huh. He is. Yeah. 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 Fabrizio Aelli from Venice, Italy. You know, and, and it could be, perhaps it could be better stated we're a Mediterranean style seafood house. But, you mm-hmm. know, I just think that, you know, yeah. Italians are very proud of their heritage. And we have such a, a beautiful Italian wine portfolio and just some really nice Italian dishes that it's nice to be able to add that other little feather in your cap. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. And so, and he's also, he's the corporate chef and then is, and David Peck is the on-site chef. Yes. Actually, um, Fabrizio Aielli is the chef owner. Our corporate mm-hmm. chef is, is a young man named Jason Goddard. He yes, lives at Jason. Oh, yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. He lives in Naples and, uh, he's kind of like Fabrizio's right hand. And then David Peck is our executive chef here in, in, um, in St. Pete. Right. The original Sea Salt is in Naples. Is. And there's also, I think, are there three other restaurants? We do. We have a, we have our original Sea Salt. We have um, just about three doors down from Sea Salt, there is a place called Barbatello, which is actually my favorite in the portfolio. You look, you feel like you're transported back to Italy. There's a, It's mostly alfresco dining. There's a beautiful fountain right in the middle of the outdoor dining area. It's just, it's just lovely. And you get charcuterie and pizzas and it's just a a great dining experience and then a little more a little more casual and then we have a an italian steakhouse called dorona which is a little further outside of town and then most recently we opened a concept called grappino and there's over a hundred grappa selections and it's kind of like a little cafe but just gorgeous the aeli's um our owners fabrizio and ingrid aeli they have a beautiful design sense and all of all of our restaurants are just absolutely gorgeous. So they're fun to eat in great atmosphere. Yeah, you gotta get down and check it out. Yeah. So back to Sea Salt St. Pete, mm-hmm. uh, there's an 80 foot long raw bar. There are 130 different salts. I'm wondering, have you ever done a like a salt tasting or education class? Well, what we do, it, it's kind of like an on-demand thing. If, uh, you know, in our, our servers, we pride ourselves on having some of the best service downtown. Our service, you know, we try to keep them, you know, versed on the salts. We do have information sheets on the salts. And if they're at a table and a guest requests to taste any of our salts, we are more than happy to do, like I say, an on-demand, on-demand tasting. I've seen servers take, you know, maybe 10 or 12 different salts up to a table just so they can try them. And then, cool. of course, people walk in the door because, you know, we have that lovely salt bar right right next to the door and you walk in and then we'll do tastings there for people. We do sell our salts. 
I'm going to have to make a note to, yeah. to I want to get educated on salts mm-hmm. and then come in and make some requests. Okay. Salt's my favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, and we had no idea there were so many different salts. Uh-uh. Um, I think sea salt was probably the first place we learned that. And then uh, after sea salt, we watched uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat and the, on the salt episode. Uh, she's at a market in Japan. I think they had like 200 and something kinds of salts. Yeah, you know, we kind of fluctuate, you know, is, is, you know, depending on what people are purchasing and what chefs using in the kitchen, but they're, they're a lot of fun and they're, they're great gifts. We, around Christmas time, we sell a lot of salts. Cool. Yeah. So a little more background on sea salt. It's located in the uh, Sundial, which is kind of an indoor outdoor shopping mall, mm-hmm. which is a major downtown St. Peter attraction for, for both locals and tourists. Even, you know, when you're on the interstate on 275, there's a big giant sign that says this way for Sundial. I know. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you guys, and I only learned this, uh, I probably just missed it elsewhere, but when you emailed me, it's in your email signature file. So you'll see the benefit of that. I learned that Sea Salt won the Wine Spectator Best of Award of Excellence mm-hmm. every year in a row from 2016 through 2020. You didn't know that? I probably did and I forgot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I knew that. Um, yeah. Spectator is, you know, and I've, for the last four years, I've filled out that application. So I, I just filled out our latest one. Cool. And, um, and, and actually speaking of Spectator, they, they've actually done something really very generous this year. Uh, they have lowered the um, entry fee by less than half because they know oh, restaurants have just been so hard hit with the pandemic. So they're calling it a renewal this year, but um, uh-huh. it I, seems like we're probably a shoe in for that, but you never want to assume. Right. But, you know, they, they want a copy of your all of your, your menus, your relevant menus. They want a copy of your wine list. You know, they want to see, depending, there's, you know, there's the just the, the award of excellence and then there's the best of award of excellence. And then, of course, the, the grand award, which places like you know, Burns Steakhouse have mm. just massive, massive collections. But yeah, we're, we're very proud of our collection here. And you do, you kind of become a librarian and a historian when you, when you curate a list this size. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And so do you guys have the largest uh, wine collection in St. Pete? In St. Pete, yes, we do. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's Rococo Roco- Fall? Rococo's They're website. right behind us. And yeah. then right behind them is um, uh, the Birchwood. Ah, ah okay. okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Rococo's website says that they have 650 bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jackie said that they have 780. 780. Yeah. Here, yeah. You know, it fluctuates all the time, you know, depending on if something falls off the list or I, you know, right. get a wild hair and go, oh, I need some more Portuguese wines. And I'll, you know, <laughs> right. So, and also, <laughs> also on the Sea Salt website, it mentions uh, 4,000 bottles. So I'm assuming that's like the total image that you, yeah, from 780 labels get you that. The tower that you're very aware of, you know, that's is kind of the showpiece of our restaurants, 20 feet high, the glass wine tower, it'll hold right around five, a little over 5,000. We keep wow. it at around 42, 4,300, again, give or take. You need to have room to move things around. Right. Um, right. But uh, that's about where we keep it right now. So we, I did mention that we had a great tasting dinner recently. And uh, when this podcast comes out, we will already have published a review, mm-hmm. an extensive review. And we just loved it. I mean, we had some of the things we had were, oh, first, before I get into that, I want to apologize for being drunk, loud, and obnoxious. Oh my God. When I listened back to that that audio, <laughs> I was like, 
like, we were so loud. I don't know. You guys are pretty tame. I don't know. I, I've been in the restaurant business for a very long time. I, I thought you were just fine. <laughs> you were having fun. I, you, you weren't disturbing anyone. I, I thought you were great. It's nice. It's nice to have an appreciative audience. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, thank we, we, uh, I remember we had the raw, we had a great selection of raw oysters. We had the baked oysters, scallops. We didn't have scallops. We yes, didn't we have did. the baked oysters. We didn't? No. Oh, right. We were going. I think maybe we wanted to order them, and then we said, we're, we're just eating you food. <laughs> I'm glad you did, because we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> oh, good. Well, it worked out. It was nice having Jason and, and David both back there, and it was it was a lot of fun for us, too. Yeah, and the, and the pairings were just spectacular They as were well. spectacular. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I have, a, I have a pretty nice portfolio to work with, so I'm a little spoiled. Right. What do you call it? You call it the Big Red Book? The big red book, yeah, 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 and and our our friend Nick, he's he's a wine aficionado, and you know whenever he's going to be at a dinner with us, we just we you know, just hand the book, we over. just hand it to him. But even he was like just blown away by it. He's like, I don't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> and Jackie's like, Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, when I first took over the program, I didn't know where to start, and. One of the things that unfortunately comes along with wine a lot of times is pretension. And I am not a big fan of pretension. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my goal at Sea Salt is the SOM and the beverage director and, you know, main educator in, in beverage is to keep it approachable. Right. And, you know, that's why I never walk up to the table and say, I'm the sommelier. This, I, I, I just, I have no stomach for that. That's why I walk up and say, hey, got any questions on that big red book? <laughs> that you're passing around the table like a hot potato? Because that's always fun for me to, to watch a you know, table of like eight or ten. Somebody looks out there like, nope. And they hand it off to the next right. person. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if, I can, if I can break that ice, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, for some people, it can be intimidating. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, you know, the more experience you get and you just like, just be casual and have fun and start f making mental notes, maybe even writing down stuff if you want, but you start figuring out what you like and then you start getting to where, okay, I want to try some new stuff and explore. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the thing. And I, t that's the other thing I tell people too, you know, I, I'm like, I'm not here to tell you what to drink. I'm here to tell you what we have you know, hopefully ask you a few educated questions, point you in the right direction. If you're interested in pairings, I can help you with that. But to be honest with you, I have had people tell me point blank, we don't care about pairings. I'm like, okay, what do you like to drink? And that's why I'm there. And I'm there to, to facilitate. I'm not there to, you know, to, to tell you what to do. Right. Hey, Jackie, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes. And like I said earlier, I have a whole bunch of wine questions for you. Okay, perfect. We'll be right back. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oats Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. From the beginning, Roland Oats has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products at the most reasonable prices possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, Open Daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, 
wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies, along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North. And in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. And Rollin' Oats offers online ordering with curbside pickup. Hey, Lori, have you ever been to Noble Crust? I have. What do you like there? Pork belly pimento cheese and fried green tomatoes are my favorite. Oh, yeah, I love that one, too. They actually call it the F-G-B-L-T. It's fried green tomatoes, pork belly glazed with a Tabasco honey sauce and pimento cheese. Mm -hmm. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. And I think they should actually call it the OMG. Yeah, you've said that before. The chicken marsala is really good, too. It has chicken and chicken sausage, criminy mushrooms, and four cheese grits. It's so delicious. I love that they mix classics from the American Deep South and Italy. Noble Crust is famous for their fried chicken. I love it. Yeah, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. When we do a best eggplant parm list, it'll definitely be on there. Yes, it will. Speaking of lists, Noble Crust made six of them recently. Best Italian, Best Casual Dining, Best Pizza, Best Bloody Marys, Best Meatballs, and, believe it or not, Best Salads. Ooh, ooh, can I tell you another one of my favorite items? Yeah. The spaghetti and meatballs. It's so good. Man, you're not kidding. You know what? They have a brunch on Saturdays and Sundays starting at 10.30, which I love. And the deviled eggs are to die for. Let's go to Noble Crust right now. I'm in. Let's do it. We are back! We are back! We are back with the uh, SOMIA and Beverage Director at Sea Salt St. Pete, Jackie H. And before we get into my wine questions, I want to—I didn't want a uh, short shrift on the dinner we had, which was amazing. I had mentioned oysters, grouper, scallops, and short rib. What were some of the other items we had that were so good? Well, we started off with a well, you call it kind of like a salad plate, right, Jackie? Yeah, it's like a, a little, like there was a trio of salads and it had that beautiful octopus on yeah. it as well. Yeah, there's a wonderful beet salad. And these were all from the menu. So there was a beet, a beet salad, then a little sampling of the octopus. And then um, there was also the uh, burrata. Yeah, that was that Salad was that was delicious. And then also the Caesar, which is a different take on Caesar because it looks like a little piece of sushi. It does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was delicious. And then we also had um, a lovely risotto. You said he made that for the uh, Food and Wine Festival? Yeah, Naples does a big um, a big auction that I've actually poured for for the last three years. It's called the Naples Winter Wine Auction. And all the proceeds go to um, benefit children in Collier County. And it is to this day the highest grossing wine auction in the world. Oh, wow. And yeah. And it's, it is, it is quite the spectacle. Well, this year, obviously because of COVID they've had to, you know, change things around because, you know, a lot of the bidders are in this one gigantic tent with chandeliers hanging from it. But anyway, now they've just done smaller little events to raise money. And that was one of the events that chef Jason and chef Fabrizio created the lobster risotto for. Oh, it was Absolutely yeah, delicious. Amazing. And then we had that mm-hmm. wonderful uh, truffle uh, veal ravioli. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's no, a redfish. Yeah, I could eat that all day. <laughs> every oh my day. god, that was so good. So, um, the way you did that dinner, it was like a how do you call that? Tasting, like, like a tasting. tasting, right? I'm a tasting with a wine pairing. Uh-huh. You offer mm-hmm. that on a regular basis. We do. We offer um, it's it's a five, seven, or nine course option. And people can get it with or without wine pairings, although I don't know why you would do it without. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, so there's a, you know, there, and then obviously there's a, you know, two separate fees for, you know, with or without the wine pairings. Right. But um, it's a lot of fun. It's a great way for people to experience our restaurant. We usually do it a lot. Of, you know, it's a lot of birthdays and anniversaries and, and things like that. And you can request for, that anytime that you go in or should you do you it? Ahead? Have to make, yeah, you have to make a reservation I for see. it. Okay. And um, the latest that we book them is 730. Just because mm-hmm. an experience like that, it takes a while. And mm-hmm. we just don't want folks to, to, to feel rushed. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. We got there at 630 and we were the last people yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> like, we need to let these people go home. <laughs> yeah. No, was, but you guys, like I said, you guys guys were great. It's, it's, it really is nice having people that, that have fun with, with the items and, and, you know, are just relaxed about it. And there's, there's no tension. That's, that's what it's all about. Food and wine is supposed to bring people together. Yeah. So you were a great group. Thank you. We had a blast. So there's two things I know about wine for sure. Okay. One, I know what I like. And two, that will never run out of new things to learn about wine. Right. Well, you're 100 percent right. And it's two things that I you sound like me, actually. I, I tell people again when they, they come in and, you know, they don't know where to start with a book or I say, guys, drink what you like. Right. You know? Sometimes you think you know what you like or you don't like and your tastes change because mm-hmm. over the years, I mean, I want to say probably almost 18 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. I couldn't stand Pinot Noir. Hated it. It tasted yeah. um, skunky to me. And then over the years, I've just, I've grown to love it. Yeah. And you know what? That's a really good point, um, Lori, because stylistically grapes, especially Pinot Noir is so versatile. Mm-hmm. And that skunkiness you're talking about, it probably had a little bit of Britannomyces in it. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like Brett. I personally do not. It doesn't sound like you do. Right. But it gets that kind of barnyard hamster kind of thing. <laughs> so some have, yeah, they absolutely adore it. I'm not a fan. I like that in cheese. <laughs> he does. Yeah, it's, it's that funk. It's that French funk. But, you know, it's, again, it's all about your palate and there's no right or wrong. Right, right. It's just, you know, what you like. So, so, Jackie, do you have any recommendations on maybe some newer, non-classic types of wine that you would recommend exploring, like new regions, new grapes? I think people get very intimidated by... Uh, Wine's not from like Napa or Sonoma, from other regions because they don't know, they're not labeled like ours are. Well, they do. And, and you know, the, the thing that I, I like to tell people with wine is, is look for value. Because you guys remember, and it's not a newer wine region, but remember that Tempranillo that we I had? I do. Mm-hmm. And, we talked, and it was delicious. And we talked about the price point on it. At Spanish wines, you can get some great values. If you get down into the south of France, there's it's kind of like the Wild West down there. They're not hamstrung by a lot of the um, a lot of the the stringent laws that the rest of France because they're they're not they're in a less regulated region. You get some amazing wines down there. Uh, you know, I love uh, even some of the German wines. You know, people explore Riesling. That's one of my favorite grapes. They're not all super sweet. It is, but it is literally one of the most versatile grapes to me. On the face of the earth, I mean, you go all the way from the TBEs, the Trock and Berenalchelases, which are super sweet, just beautiful, luscious uh, res- dessert wines, 
to like really bone dry Riesling. Not, you're not getting those too much in Germany, but when you get down to, you know, like um, Australia and they're just, they're gorgeous. Oh, so that's where you find the drier Rieslings is Australia. I love dry Riesling. It's wonderful. Yeah. Alsace and, you know, Alsace up in Northern France, it butts up right next to Germany and um, they just do a drier style. Yeah. But I have a, I have some, I have a really pretty uh, Australian Riesling on my list that I, anybody I've opened it for, they're just blown away by it. So mm-hmm. that that's fun too. You talk about styles mm-hmm. of, of wine grapes are so versatile. Right. Yeah. You know, so that leads me, I'm going to jump to a out of order here. Uh, are there certain characteristics that define wines from different countries? Like Italian wines are kind of like this and French wines are like that. You know, it is interesting that you mentioned Italy because to me, especially an Italian red, boy, that that terroir just jumps out of the glass at you. I really get that earth and that soil. It's just, mm-hmm. it's Italy. You know, you can know as an Italian red, boy, man, that is Italy. <laughs> and then you come over to you know, California, especially if you're talking Napa and it's, it's a warmer growing region and they're just, some of those reds are just so, so big and lush and round, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you get up into, there's some amazing cabs and Merlots coming out of Washington right now, Mm -hmm. which is a cool region, different soil type. And they have, the fruit is still really beautiful on those wines, but they're not quite as lush. They're, they're a little more focused. I think they're a little more elegant in some ways, Mm -hmm. But then again, that all gets back to the vineyard and it gets back to the winemaker. Right. What, what are they stylistically trying to go for? Right. Right. Now, I may be wrong on this, but most people, I think, think that California is where most of the wine comes from. But I thought I heard somewhere it was like New York State. Well, New York State has more um, vineyards and wineries per capita or whatever that term is than any other state in the country. Hmm. And the reason for that is you think about where the original settlers came. Ah. That's where they and they came and they brought their grapevines. Well, not initially, you know, because the um, the grape that is native to America is the Concord grape, which is, um, it's not, it's Vitus Lambrusca, mm-hmm. which is basically good for jelly and right. it's good for grape juice. Yeah. But it's not really good for fermented grape juice, which is a Vitus vinifera, which is what the, they started bringing over and smuggling over. And you hear all sorts of great stories about people smuggling vines out of, out of Burgundy and out of Bordeaux. Right. But um, they brought those over and they, they started planting vineyards because they, they wanted their wines. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jefferson was a huge uh, wine fanatic. And I think at mm-hmm. one point they made him the uh, ambassador to France and he went and lived in France and he amassed this, a huge collection of wine. And he So much so that he went into debt. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is the wine that was consumed more than any other wine actually wasn't a French wine. It was Madeira. Hmm. Oh, right. uh, they drink a ton of Madeira. Well, it, it, I mean, you can you can put Madeira in your sock drawer or put it on top of your car engine. It's not going to go bad <laughs> because of the process. I mean, you cannot hurt Madeira. They they are still finding caches of Madeira from back in the the original colonial days, and they're they're fine. Wow, you know, they just because at the process call it, they're matterized, which is a heat process. So they've already ruined the wine for you, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> You can't break this. It's already broken. Exactly. You know, they heat it. You know, it's kind of, it's followed the same categories like a port or something. They drank a tremendous amount of Madeira back then. So Jackie, what is your process for deciding which wine to pair with a food? Yeah. You know, we did talk about this a little bit the other night too. The first thing I look at is the weight of the dish. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you know, you can have uh, you can have a, a snapper, but depending on if it's just a beautiful, lovely piece of grilled snapper and some asparagus, or if it's you know a piece of snapper like we have our lunch our lunch snapper. It's got a, a lovely white wine lemon butter sauce. It's got some uh, pancetta lardons. It's got uh, you know some fingerling potatoes. That's a whole different story. Right. Yeah. Probably, you know, with the snapper, white burgundies are beautiful just with a, a nice, um, elegant piece of fish like that. Snapper has some weight to it. So white burgundy would be would be nice to put with that. But, you know, with the with the dish that I just described to you, you know, you could put a Pinot Noir. I was just going to say that. Right. right. Or you could even put a lighter style cap because it's got some heft to it. So you want to kind of try to balance out the weight of the wine with the weight of the dish. Right. So that would probably apply to salmon as well, right? Sure. You know, it's funny. I did a um, last, my gosh, time was, time's flying by. Last February, I did a Gurgach Hills dinner. And boy, that's a great pedigree with those wines mm-hmm. too. But yeah. I did that day, I did a, a trade tasting. And it just so happened that I ordered grilled salmon for my lunch. And the wine that was in my glass when the fish came to the table was their Zinfandel, which Mike Gurgach is famous for Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most amazing pairings I've had in a really long time. Wow, I bet. It just worked. That little bit of that little bit of char and that little bit of smoke on the salmon from the grill. It was it was absolutely lovely oh, with that one. So, you know, you just you're making my mouth water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, that's a great grin. So, how and why did we go from champagne flutes to white wine glasses, and when did this happen? Well, it, there's there's been a lot of controversy over the last several years. And, 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 and interestingly enough, I feel like champagne has often borne the brunt of you're not drinking it in the right glass. But what champagne and sparkling wine houses are, are discovering is that they put so much work into these wines and all we're worried about is the effervescence. And while the flute is a gorgeous vessel to showcase that effervescence, it doesn't really showcase the wine all that well. Uh, interesting. It doesn't open, so it's open up as well. Yeah, the aromas right. of the wine. So what they're doing is they're doing like a, a tulip and there's a little, almost like a little tornado at the bottom of the glass. And then it flares out into a pretty little tulip bowl. So you look at the focus, that pinpoint focus of the effervescence of the bubbles. And, but then the bowl opens up and you can, you can smell the wine. Mm-hmm. Nice. That makes sense. It does. Yeah. And it delivers the wine to your palate differently. I don't know. You probably have. You guys are you guys are pretty savvy. Have you ever done a um, a Riedel tasting? We have not actually. Well, I have. That is actually amazing. If you ever get the opportunity to do that, Riedel, as I'm sure you know, it's a it's a very well known mm-hmm. yeah. stemware glass company, and they do a, a seminar for cork dorks like us. Yeah. And basically, they'll put they'll put you know a Pinot Noir, just a, a regular you know, red wine glass, which is fine. And then they'll put it in their burgundy glass. Cool. And it is absolutely amazing. It is a, I have done this, not a Riedel yeah. one, but I have done many, yeah. many tastings where they have done the different glasses. So you could, yes, it's amazing. Yeah. The way it, it the way it, the aromas hit your, your, your nasal cavity and the shape of the glass, how it delivers the wine to your palate and hits your palate. It's, it, yeah, it's there. There really is some science to it. I, I really didn't believe it until I did it myself. I'm like, oh gosh, there is something to this. Right. This $45 wine glass. Right. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So Jackie, are there, are there any cliches you'd like to banish from the wine world forever? That, that wine is only for fancy people. Yeah, that's, a <laughs> that's a good one. And, 
And that and that champagne is only for celebrations because I yep. am making it my mission to not just champagne, sparkling wine. Sparkling wine can be an everyday drink. You know, it's I love it because you know it's hard to be in a bad mood when you have a glass of bubbles in your hand. And you know, the, one of the best secrets that I can tell people too is if you're really talking about pairings, sparkling wine pairs with just about everything. Yes, we right. were we were talking about that with Fred when we had him on our podcast, and I think I mentioned that to you that night at the dinner when he said, "Have it with potato chips. Have it with popcorn." That's my, that's my favorite. When you said that, I was like, I I preach that to everybody. Kettle uh, kettle chip. With sparkling wine is amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. It's I'm going to do it with tacos. <laughs> yeah. I, I had it yeah. yesterday afternoon by myself. Yeah. With the- there you go. That's, that's <laughs> good too. <laughs> I may have done the same thing. Ah, there we go. What's the most exquisite pairing of food and wine? Oh, gosh. You know, I, that's so subjective because I, a lot of it, I think, depends on your mood, where you are. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I right. mean, if, if you're if you're sitting on a, you know, on a on a hillside in Francia Corda, sipping Francia Corda and eating, who cares what you're eating? Yeah. yeah. Did that, you know, last summer before last, we went to Italy and Francia Corda was one of the regions that we, you know, that we visited. So a lot of it is just, gosh, where am I? What am I doing? Right. You know, if I'm in a tasting room in Napa and, you know, that they, they just have they have rugged elegance down to a, a real fine-tuned science down there. You're sitting next to a, a barn that has a <laughs> fountain coming out of it and you're drinking this beautiful glass of wine and eating breadsticks and you can swear it's the best thing you've ever had in your entire life. Right. So for me, I guess long answer is it's about the experience mm-hmm. for me and wine just kind of enhances that experience and, and ties everything together and, you know, talked about being kind of a historian or librarian. I think that's one of the things I love about wine is every label has something behind it. There's a story behind every single label. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the, that's part of the journey for me is learning that and being able to share that with people. That's really awesome. So what's an unusual pairing that really works? I think one of the pairings that I've discovered and in, in speaking of, uh, you know, pairing dinners, um, we don't do a tremendous amount of foie gras, but you know, on the pairing dinner, sometimes the the, che- the chef will pull that out of his bag of tricks. And as I'm sure you know, the classic pairing for foie gras is going to be sauterne. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's that's a pretty expensive wine, and it's not something that we open every day. So, and it's but it's 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 sweet, but it's high in acid. And I thought, what else do I have? in that wine room that kind of fits that profile. And what I found was actually Riesling mm-hmm. and um, same kind of profile. It's, it's, it's sweet. It's got, you know, it doesn't have the nuttiness and honey profile that Sauterne does, but you know, and it's, but it's not as, as sweet. You have that little bit of residual sugar, you have that beautiful, bright acidity, and it goes really nicely with foie gras. So it bubbles. Yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, as as previously stated, yes, of yes. course. Yeah, yeah. So, what determines if a wine will age well or not, and how do you know? Well, a lot of that has to do with the grape. You know, for for example, most white wines, they you know you're not keeping them. You know, you're, there are some burgundies and things that you keep longer, but you're not keeping them past five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you're talking about something like a Sauvignon Blanc, and I mean, this is all general. There's always exceptions. Right. 
I mean, Sauvignon Blanc, you want to drink it within the first couple of years. It's it's a wine that's meant to be consumed young. Right. And a lot of that has to do with how the wine is made. Um, we hear a lot in the in the in the business about tannins and basically tannins. It, it's 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 a tactile thing. It's not a taste. It's that that sensation of drying out your palate. Right. But tannins have in them. It's a natural preservative. So it's it's from it comes from the skins. It comes from the pips. It comes from any stems that might be in there. And it also comes from the barrels. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously red wines that have longer skin contact they're going to have more tannins. And in general, that's going to allow the wines to age longer. Ah, so it's about, and then, yeah. And then depending on, on barrel time, but those are all things that, you know, allow, give that, but that's why, again, you know, winemakers have gotten a lot better over the years with making wines that are more approachable. You know, that's why, you know, you're talking Nebbiolos and, and, and Bordeaux, a lot of them, you couldn't even touch them before 10, 15 years. Wow. Wow you know, in, in the bottle. And now we're getting smarter about that. We're realizing that most people aren't collectors, they're drinkers right. <laughs> and their, their wine is not an investment to them. Uh, they, they want to be able to enjoy If They pay $50 for a bottle of wine. They want to be able to pull the cork and enjoy right. it. So what happens to a bottle of red that I forgot about and I've had it for 20 years? What's it going to be like? It, it when depends I on it? the, on the red. Yeah, it depends on, it depends on the wine, but let, let's say best case scenario. Let's say you've bought a wine that's ageable. Say you bought a big a big Napa Cab, or say you bought a Bordeaux, or even if you're if you're lucky enough to have a Burgundy that that has that longevity in it, and it's stored properly. I mean, you're in for an amazing experience. Cool. Right. I don't have one twenty. I don't years. imagine you have a few of those, Kevin. I don't imagine. You yeah, actually, I exaggerated on the twenty years, but I, I do have a bottle that I actually did forget about that I've had, I think, since twenty. 11 maybe 2012 and then i just bought a brand new vintage of the same one so i want to open them both at the same time and compare you didn't tell me yeah that's fun yeah that's fun do a little side by side and it's also fun to do verticals too verticals are a lot of fun Uh, such as well so say you have say you have three consecutive vintages of of a napa cab or of a bordeaux from the same vineyard Mm. and you want to open all three of them cool it's just fun to see, like, what did the vineyard give you that year? Because that's that's what most, unless you're, certain houses are just shooting for a house style every year. Right. And those are usually the, the big mass production ones that they that people want to know that every year they get that wine, this is what it's going right. to taste like. And then as you get into the smaller houses, um, you know, or, or, you know, the... I don't want to use the word serious, but in a way, a little more serious uh, wineries, they're taking what the vineyard gave them every year. And they're doing the best they can do with it. Like, we, the, what's the best thing? I, what's the best expression the vineyard gave me this year? So, you know, depending on if it was a dry year, a wet year, a cold year, a hot year, whatever it was, it, it's it, that's where the verticals are are really fun to kind of you know see where where did the where did the wine go this year? What did what was the what was the winemaker able to do with it? Yeah, when you talk like, I'm going to bring up the movie Sideways because I have to because that's yeah. what. What oh, you're talking gosh. about reminds me of Virginia Madsen when they're sitting outside and she's talking about how wine is such a living, breathing. I get goosebumps every time I think about that scene, but I love it. Yeah. It's my favorite scene. Yes. And yeah. I've, le- I've learned a lot during this episode. And one of my favorite things I learned is the term cork dork. Cork dork. Yeah. <laughs> Lori sounds like a cork dork right now. I do. 
You know, that's actually a book. I can't tell you the author, oh, okay. but basically it was it was written by, um, I think it was a lady. I, I, I need to read it. I've had so many of my friends that have read it that literally knew nothing about wine and she wanted to educate her herself on wine. And she just basically went on this journey and uh, really educated herself on wine and wrote this book, Cork Door. Oh, cool. Very cool. I yeah. can check that out. It's a great read. I just haven't read it yet. Awesome. So everybody needs to check out the food and wine at Sea Salt St. Pete. It's at Sundials. The actual address is 183 2nd Avenue North. The website is seasaltstpete.com. And Jackie H., thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You guys have been great. That was awesome. We'll be right back. This is Chris Walker. New on the website is the recipe we talked about at the beginning of the show for Fra Diablo shrimp and bonza pasta. And the best news of the week, aside from the Bucks winning the Super Bowl, is that the shrimp and grits are back at Noble Crust. It's a new version. It's a little more New Orleans style than Deep South Coastal. It has blackened shrimp, corn, okra, green onions, andouille, and creole sauce. And I had it over the weekend and it was great. Next week on the show, we'll be talking to the Eric Youngs. He is a culinary instructor, fundraiser for culinary scholarships, podcaster, and the owner of Voodoo Chef Sauces and Spice Mixes. If you'd like to send us fan mail, hate mail, or if you have any requests for interviews or restaurant reviews, just send an email to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guests, Jackie Aish and Abby Allen. And thanks to our sponsors, Roland Oates, The Zest Podcast, Noble Crust, Booyah Ramen, and, and Engine, Engine Number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. Don't be shy. Really get your nose right in there, really. A little citrus. Maybe some strawberry. Um, Passion fruit. And, oh, there's just like the faintest sous-sol of like uh, asparagus and there's a, just a flutter of like a, like a nutty Edom cheese. Wow.